Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today, it's the story of the infamous island death match between Antonio Noki and Masa Saito that took place on October 4th, 1987 on Ganrujima Island, a tiny, uninhibited island in, in Japan. Talk about the uh, ultimate social distancing match. Uh, my old friend and journalist uh, from Tokyo, Fumi Saito, and Jim Valley from Pacific Rim Wrestling Podcast and uh, Wrestling Observer Live are here to talk about the circumstances surrounding the match the events leading up to it, and what to expect if you actually want to check it out for yourself. It's a great story that involves a pro wrestling legend and master promoter, Antonio Inoki, whose New Japan pro wrestling company was in constant battle with Giant Baba's All Japan for talent, TV ratings, and fans. Fumi's going to shed some light on that because he was a kid in Japan when these two promotions were fighting for ratings. Fumi also knew Masa Saito and visited him in jail in Wisconsin, another crazy story involving a, a McDonald's and a fight with the police. Fumi's going to fill us in about that. All coming up. And there's a new Winnipeggers uh, episode coming up this Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This one's called Doppelgangers, a celebrity uh, and serial killer doppelgangers that look like me, Spiwi, and Ribo. And wait till you hear who a Dave Spivak Spiwi has been mistaken for and told that he looks like and which of those two upsets him more. Ribo's got a couple good ones as well, and I've got a few, including the one that Ric Flair calls me to this day. So if you want to know who our lookalikes are, our doppelgangers, check out the Winnipeggers on Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And let's go together on Saturday night for the 20th Saturday night special. Drinks, questions, stories, sing along. We're doing it like we do every Saturday night. Uh, I've got my goodies hangover ready for this one. Order on Amazon so you avoid that hangover come Sunday morning. Facebook Live, my official YouTube channel at 9 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night for the Saturday night special. All right. We paid all the bills for now. And my old friend Fumi Saito and his Pacific Rim Wrestling Podcast partner Jim Valley are sharing the story of Anoki versus Saito and the Island Deathmatch coming up. On Talk is Jericho. So one of the um, the uh, benefits of all of us being in a pandemic worldwide lockdown is it gives a lot of time to uh, look into things, research things, and talk to, to guys that you don't get a chance to talk to too much. And this is a combination of all those things because... Uh, I got Jim Valley here and, and Fumi Saito, an old friend of mine from Japan. And I was listening to your podcast, um, Pacific Rim Podcast. Yes. And you guys were talking about the infamous island death match between Antonio Inoki and Masa Saito. In this day and age when there's so many, I've been calling them no people matches, empty arena matches, it's so strange to work without a crowd and this one obviously was one of the, the first kind of no crowd matches. How was it for you guys before we get into this, watching wrestling from an expert standpoint and from a fan standpoint with no people there? First couple weeks of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, it was so strange, right? Right. And I almost got used to it, you know, like a third week, folks weeks in and start realizing some wrestlers walk, you know, work fine without audience. Some of the guys just doesn't work like I don't want to point one out, but the, let's say the Miz and John Morrison without audience <laughs> look way too silly, right? Right. And whereas Daniel Bryan's match, the audience are supposed to pay attention to really what's going on in that ring, and you are watching wrestling match. You almost don't need the crowd reaction mm. sometimes. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I think it's taught me from a fan perspective more about working. As far as you can see athletes who are more in the moment and seem to be unaffected 
by no fans. And you have others that seem to be who would excel more in a, an environment where they have the interaction with the audience. The worst thing I've seen is at times it kind of exposes some of the coordination as far as to mention Ms. and Morrison just climbing up the ladders. You know, maybe with fans booing or mm-hmm. cheering, it would have seemed less planned out and less convenient. But regardless, this is a really difficult situation for everybody. And I think everyone's doing the best they can. And you, you have to appreciate that. It's interesting to me from a professional standpoint, because I actually haven't had a match yet, but I've been on the shows every week in different capacities. And obviously I did a 15 minute one-on-one promo with Matt Hardy, where, you know, if the crowd was there, it would be that much more, I wouldn't say exciting, but maybe energetic or live, but there's also a certain feel to it when it's just one-on-one, almost like you're acting in a movie or something like that. So I think what you guys are saying is probably right. There's certain guys that are going to adapt to it and certain guys that won't because we really don't have any choice at this point. If the shows are going to continue, you got to do it that way. At WrestleMania, I thought Charlotte Flair was amazing as far as adapting to it, and I was really, really impressed with the performance she put in. With or without audience, they've done the same match. Now, is that necessarily a good thing for me? Good or bad, but it, it had to be this way. This without audience thing, no, you know, no audience in the building. It will not stop at the WrestleMania until this coronavirus thing, you know, make any change that you will be having or producing these TV shows. Mm-hmm. I don't know for how long. You know, you, this is the way it has to be for quite some time. For you know, going forward. Yeah, realistically. What's kind of what wrestling is all about is you have to go with the flow and you, and you have to adapt and, and change. And I think one thing that I really liked about WrestleMania uh, were kind of the movies, like the Taker movie. I wouldn't really call it a match. Oh, but, yeah, that was very much movie. Yeah, it's a movie and the Firefly Funhouse thing. And, yeah, that was strange. But the Bray Wyatt theme, it had to be that way, right? Yeah, and also, too, taking advantage. It's like this week I, I'm, I'm on... I'm on commentary with Tony Schiavone, and the reason for that was there's six weeks of TV that we're filming. Let me just do commentary because we need a, we need a, another announcer, and I can add some energy to it because I, I find the commentators, if you're going to have no people there, you got to be extra energetic and excited and into it to translate to the people at home. It, it adds the content. Like you're the disc jockey of that show. Right. That's a great point. What's going on in Japan? Because for me, one of the things about uh, the, that I noticed very early on was, you know, in following New Japan and working for them for the last few years, they were very one of the first kind of big sports to pull the tours and to shut things down. Yeah, yeah. Is it still? Yeah, they're a big enough company. They could afford to cancel the show and still pay boys, right? Right. All Japan canceled the show. Pro Wrestling Nor canceled the show. For women's wrestling, Stardom canceled the show and rest of the smaller company have to follow it too. And Korakin Hall shut down too. They're not renting a house until a few months. So you can't run shows there. Well, because Stardom actually did a few empty arena shows before, didn't they? Yeah, and then they went back to one show with audience, then then got really criticized, then they went back to without it, and then they completely canceled the show this last week. How were they able to go back to doing shows with an audience? Had the, had the virus kind of gone away for a bit? or It wasn't, but it was not as serious. They didn't see the kind of information and people's understanding and the 
circumstances. It, it varies, right? Mm -hmm. Until this prime minister and the cabinet, you know, announces don't go out and stay home, then rest of the society pretty much realize, right, this is really serious, you know. Mm -hmm. First couple of weeks, or even like a th President Trump three weeks back, they thought it was going to be okay, normal by Easter, right? Right. <laughs> no, not Easter. It's like only a month away, not even a month away. It's, like, it's impossible. But the understanding and interpretation of the whole situation varied. Now it's way serious. Yeah, everyone understands just how big it is. Yeah, so they went, went as, a wrestling, as far as wrestling goes, a couple wrestling companies went back to shows with audience for once, you know, like three weeks back, and say, uh oh, then really went, no, we can't do this. And then a show without audience, then now completely canceled all the tours. That's where we are now. Wow. And that's where we stand basically in, in the States. Isn't that correct, Jim? I mean, it's pretty much everything shut down here now for sports and everything. Unless you're Dana White and you're talking to your realtor about an island, yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, apparently Dana White is a, a student of Enochianism. I had no idea, but um, yeah, everything else is, is. is shut down. And and I, it's so great well, that we're, for we're Dana this White. Seriously. You know what? What's going on in society doesn't apply to his his world or something. Well, yeah, and it's almost the same with with Vince still taping down in Florida and. But I guess everybody's got their own way of dealing with things. But what you just said, Jim, was a student of Enochianism. And I want to talk about the death match, but I want to build up to this just to explain this very interesting character of Antonio Enochi and kind of a lot of the strange, interesting, unique things that he did. So give us a little bit of information and background on Antonio Enochi to get to this, this point, Fumi. One of the most influential wrestling superstar and promoter of 20th century. Now, why do you say that? He was the kind of guy who actually had a rest, you know, had a match against Muhammad Ali in 1976. Right. You know, they thought it was the craziest thing back then, but that the interpretation and understanding of this Ali Inoki fight it changed over decades. It was almost the birth of MMA, wasn't it? Mm. Hindsight. Wrestling versus boxing. Absolutely. A combination yeah. of different fighting styles going into the ring. It wasn't even work. You know who promoted that match in the States, Fumi? On closed circuit? McMahon family. That's right. McMahon family. Yeah. <laughs> Do, were you around when that was on, Jim? Do you know a lot about that match in Oki and Ali? I was really, really young when that, uh, when that happened, so I vaguely remember it. Mm. I remember seeing, you know, Antonio Noki sometimes in the after magazines, in the Bad News Bears. <laughs> with, with the after magazines, they they talked about this island match and described it, and you're you're just fascinated by what what this could be and and what it means. And I, I loved reading about Tiger Mask and everything I saw, and it was so hard to get information at, at my age in a small town, but it boggled the mind with what this could actually mean and what, what the pictures you were imagining were. What about Inoki Muhammad Ali fight? That, yeah. Did you ever, have you ever heard about that as well? Is there's that how you start out, Jim? Yeah. It's just, you don't really know because Inoki wasn't a huge name here. It's like, here's a, here's a fighter. And what we knew about combat was so limited back then. And Ali was the greatest and sure. you can't touch Ali. I mean, come on, he's, he's Ali. So in the sense that he didn't have a reputation and we didn't know a lot about fighting, it was really hard to, to, to get my head around everything. Finding a new home that fits your family's needs can be tricky. 
You want room to spread out, space to gather, and a place to get away from it all. Luckily, when you need a mortgage that fits your family's needs, a great place to look is Rocket Mortgage. That's right, getting a mortgage is a necessary part of the home buying process for many, but it doesn't have to be a hassle. Rocket Mortgage gives you the tools you need to understand all your options and purchase with certainty. Want to see how a different down payment impacts your monthly payment? No problem. You can see your loan options, adjust payments, and closing costs online in real time. How helpful is that? Rocket Mortgage built a home loan experience designed for you with certainty at every step and no unwanted surprises. You can relax knowing you're getting a home loan that fits your life. If you have any questions now or along the way, their online home buyer's guide has tons of great info to help you move forward confidently. So when you need a mortgage lender that fits your life, Rocket can. Get started online at rocketmortgage.com slash Jericho. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org. Number 3030. Remember, Rocket can. What was it that made Anoki so popular, uh, Fumi? Like, what, what kind of led him to being this cultural icon and being one of the greatest wrestlers and promoters, not just in Japanese history, but in American history as well? Okay, in Japan, like when I was really little kid, there were always two major companies, Giant Baba's Old Japan Pro Wrestling, Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Baba had a Channel 4 network, Channel Primetime program. Inoki's New Japan, always on, on TV, Asahi. Friday night, 8 o'clock, primetime TV program. So two major league. When I was a little kid, Giant Baba was show business, and Inoki was a real deal. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, that was an analogy they were using. Yeah, Baba's American wrestling is kind of show business and this and that. All the major superstars from America came to old Japan, no, always. Inoki had, what, Tiger Jeet Singh or somebody, right? But Inoki always beat everybody every week. And so that led him to start working with, I mean, there was the Russian guys and there was, you know, w- Willie Wilhelm and all these kind of legit fighters. What was Anoki's mindset in, in, in booking those matches? See, Giant Baba in Old Japan had all the connection with all the major league wrestling, NWA, the AWA, the, all the southern, you know, NWA territory and the Funks Booker and all those things. All the superstars came to Channel 4, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Whereas Inoki beating some guy every week, right? And then after this Muhammad Ali thing idea, Inoki against big time judoka, karate fighter, the kickboxer. Or he even had, after Muhammad Ali fight, Inoki had another uh, mixed fight against guys like Chuck Chuck Webner. Right. Yeah, pretty much beat everybody. And he's like, uh, wrestling is better than rest of the combat sports kind of thing. I believed it as a kid. When you talk about the Inoki and Ali match, because yeah. you mentioned Inoki and Jim said it too, Inoki was not a very big star in, in the States. Up until then. Right. So how did that match even happen with, with Inoki and Ali? Because they went into it with no, with no finish, no idea what the finish was going to be, correct? Right. 15 rounds. Then also, okay, first, Muhammad Ali came to Japan and had a press conference on his way to Kuwait for the one of his title defense. Not the match, but the, he stopped in, in uh, Haneda Airport then. He had a press conference, you know, on his way to Kuwait. I don't know, I don't remember the title defense, but the, he was, he just regained 
heavyweight championship from George Foreman the previous year, right? Right. You would think that's Muhammad Ali's like a real reign, you know, like his prime time. And he was real big. And press conference, for real though, but it was a more, more like a lip service kind of thing because he was in Japan. How come I never have challenger from Japan? Hmm. That was a press conference for real. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I never fought Asian guy. I never fought a Japanese challenger. Isn't there any Japanese fighter who wants to f- fight the greatest? Muhammad Ali doesn't have to be boxer, anybody, karate, wrestler, boxer, anything. Inoki for real answered. Ah. You know, he ran his own angle. You know what I'm saying? Mm, gotcha. But somewhat it became big news in print media. So somewhat, somehow, Ali side people had to answer it too. Then the, pro- the whole project started moving forward. Yeah, all these people still you know, thought that it was going to be the exhibition, you know, some fun thing that uh, Ali goes to Japan and have a fight with, you know, Japanese professional wrestler. Oh, it's an all oh, act, you know, piece of cake, right? Mm-hmm. Also, boxers never travel alone, alone, let alone Muhammad Ali. He comes to Japan with 30 other entourage, right? Yeah, his entourage, right, yeah. Yeah, the whole yeah whole network. Yeah, <laughs> they did not realize how big of a thing it was in Japan until he got here. Ah, they thought it was gonna be just a TV show for like a fun act. Uh, you know, it's all show. You know, when are we gonna rehearse this thing? And you know, kids, people say, no, there's no rehearsal. And then they start saying, oh, oh, something is wrong, right? <laughs> Definitely. But you wouldn't be making you know six million dollar back in 1976 for just little show mm-hmm. oh Inoki's people and New Japan and TV Asahi it was, it was always been serious about this all along for uh, you know knowing how Inoki was he was gonna really have a fight you know mm-hmm. leading up to this Inoki fight you know Ali fight uh, there was a, like a paid audience at the Korakan Fall for your open sparring show that uh, Ali shows his practice Inoki shows his practice right then Ali's people saw what Inoki was doing in the ring. It's like, oh, oh, this guy is serious, right? Let's pack up and go. Oh, wow. TV Asahi and th- these people did their best not to let these guys leave the country. I mean, how much money are they going to lose? Announce it and cancel it? Sure. Then there was a meeting after meeting after meeting, you know, midnight, you know, closed door meeting. And to make this fight happen, Ali's people really insisted that there's not going to be no kicking, there's not going to be no wrestling, there's not going to be no karate chop hitting. What are we going to do, right? That's how Inoki, you know, came up with laying down on his back and kicking his leg thing, remember? Right, yes. He had to do this. There's no grappling. There is no karate chop throwing. It's nothing, none of those. What could wrestler do? You know, this Inoki did what he could do, though, then. But just the fact he went in the ring, because like you said, all of Inoki's strengths were taken away. So it was basically a boxing match yeah. with the greatest boxer in the world, and Inoki had none of his tools. None of his tools. But Muhammad Ali thought it was, I'm sure he was still okay because he's the greatest. But his people and entourage didn't trust Japanese people. Anything can happen, you know, if you let this guy, you know, walk into the ring, right? And everything televised, you know, funny thing can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So they were so careful about it. But the point is to make this happen, no? 
because it was the biggest thing, right? And also top of the, uh, the, the technology at the time too. You beam this whole fight into America live from Japan. No pay-per-view then. Closed circuit at the movie theaters, 130 locations all around the U.S. And it was a big business. And with Vince McMahon family, you had the Shea Stadium show and after Stan Hansen, Bruno San, San Martino match and under the giant Chuck Weapon match, you see the big screen on a baseball field watching Oki Ali fight. Right. That was a big business, wasn't it, at the time? Sure. I mean, like you said, it was Shea Stadium for the closed circuit match. I think they had uh, a couple live matches, like you mentioned, but that was closed circuit. Yeah. And also, funny thing was, though, this happened in Japan, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. In the 1970s, we had school on Saturday until noon, you know, half a day. But uh, Saturday wasn't off. All the kids go to school Saturday morning then. Not anymore, though. But uh, when I was ninth grade, yes, we were still in junior high. And Saturday morning, you still attend morning class on Saturday. For some reason, show started 11 o'clock in the morning in Japan. I had to run home, all the way home, never stopped. I ran home to catch the show, you know? <laughs> all the kids did. Ran from the school back to your home, you know? <laughs> Skipped the bus. We have to run to catch the show. All the kids did. The reason they had 11 o'clock in the morning in, at the Budokan was that it was 9 o'clock prime time in New York. Wow, gotcha. I didn't understand then. It's like, why 11 o'clock in the morning so early, right? Right. They had rerun, that the replay the show the same night, Saturday night, prime time, but it's recorded show. You know, you got to watch these things live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ran home. I clearly remember ninth grade me ran home. Like, you know, all the kids were running home. <laughs> you got to watch the show. <laughs> and believe that the Inoki was going to suplex Muhammad Ali. Right. Not, none of these happened, though. Then didn't understand the martial arts of it. And Inoki couldn't do any of that. And they didn't announce the rule change and anything on TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were just doing everything they could to get that match in the ring. In the ring, yes. Mm-hmm. And to have Judo Jean LaBelle as a referee, too, assigned. Right. <laughs> oh, you got to have an enforcer, right? Right, right, of course. Yeah. Just in case. Oh, God, a lot of myths up to this date, you know, what was taking place backstage. All these people had a gun in his pocket. You can't walk in Budokan with guns in his pocket, you know? <laughs> yeah, but a lot of myths that people still believe to this day. You know, he was going to get shot, you know, all those things. So let's talk about the actual island location of the island death match, and we'll do that after you guys uh, hear about a great new way to stay hydrated in this summer heat. It's been tough to stay hydrated at AEW. Uh, I know a lot of you guys know that uh, Daly's place in Jacksonville, it's an outdoor venue. We're doing matches in that crazy heat and humidity. Super easy to get hydrated. And you know why hydration is so important. Making sure you're hydrated increases your brain power and boosts your productivity, prevents headaches and improves your skin and mood, helps your digestion, prevents bad breath. And the big one for me, it gives you energy. Uh, but how much do you need to drink to really stay hydrated? 10 cups of water, a gallon. Luckily, there's Hydrant. Uh, and Hydrant takes all the guesswork out of staying hydrated. Hydrant has created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into water so you can more efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, and it packs a punch to help your body hydrate fast and stay hydrated. It's made with real fruit juice powder and comes in a bunch of different flavors. I got a variety pack that has blood orange, not to be confused with Blood Orange Cassidy, that wretch. 
uh, lime and grapefruit flavors. And so far, the blood orange, uh, actually, the taste is my favorite. I pour the powder into a bottle of water, shake it up and drink it. It tastes great going down, refreshing, and I feel the energy boost right after I drink it. You need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. Trust me, you're going to want to drink it for the flavor alone. It really does taste that good, and the price won't break your bank either. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more money with a monthly subscription. Plus, it's backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. And I'm going to do you one better. You can save 25% off your first order. Just go to drinkhydrant.com slash Jericho. Enter my promo code Jericho at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash Jericho. Use the promo code Jericho uh, to save 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash Jericho. Use that promo code Jericho. Save 25%. Uh, thank you to Hydrant for sponsoring Talk is Jericho and keeping me hydrated and feeling good for AEW Dynamite and beyond. So he had a track record of having these kind of strange and interesting matches. Jim, what inspired you to talk about the Island Death Match on your podcast? Was it your idea or was it Fumi's? No, I, I just, it occurred to me that right now we're seeing a lot of creativity. The fact that we're seeing empty arena no matches. Yeah, no audience. Right. And we saw the Boneyard match and the creativity of the Firefly Funhouse match. And I was like, wow, Anoki set everything up in in 1987 it's it's not as cinematic say as the the undertaker and aj styles but to have it on an island in a in an analog world where you have to set up all the cables and all of the planning that must have gone into it it's really we we can talk about the match and if it was a critical success or not but as as far as the vision it's it's ahead of its time it's funny that you say that because one of the original things when we were still talking about maybe trying to do Blood and Guts once uh, the Prudential Center in Newark was canceled, one of the ideas I have is I, I live on a, a fairly big piece of property. And I was like, why don't we just bring the cage to my house and we'll do it like, quote unquote, backyard, but it's in the middle of a giant field right by a lake. And I said, at least the look of it will be different. And I said, shit, but Inoki and Saito did it 30 years ago in the island match. 30 years ago. <laughs> So I actually had thought about that, and that's what got my wheels spinning about, geez, I really want to know more about this match, and then just a total coincidence, you guys had spoke about it. So tell me kind of how this match came to be. Uh, what kind of rivalry did Saito and Inoki have to get to this point? It was in 1987, October 4th. Mm. Okay, This place, Ganryujima, the little island in Yamaguchi Prefecture, Shimonoseki City, it actually exists. Okay, that's a famous Ganryujima Island where famous samurai warrior yeah. Musashi Miyamoto and Kojiro Sasaki had their famous battle. Some books say it took place 1612. Some books say this battle took place 1776, 1727. So, so it's like a part of reality, historical fact, part myth. You know, mm-hmm. but the island actually exists in Yamaguchi Prefecture. It's only real small island, 25 acre. That's it, you know, and nobody lives there, and nobody done anything since. You know, it's a small island. Nobody lives there. No electricity, nothing. But historical site that exists. Inoki came up with the idea. He, the Inoki and Masa Saito will become Musashi Miyamoto and Kojiro <laughs> Sasaki of today. <laughs> Modern day samurai, right? Yeah, that's the craziest idea Inoki can come up with. 
But it was actually at the very political too at the time. By having this Inoki Masa Saito single match, actually fourth time in that year alone. Oh wow! He destroyed the ongoing storyline by one night. I'll go back. This year, you know, Inoki and Masa have a series of single match. Masa came back from America after his jail time. Yeah, it's just, let's just speak with us because I remember I grew up in Winnipeg, as you guys know, and that was a big AWA territory. That was the first, that's how I got into wrestling. So Masa Saito was a huge name to me at 12 or 13 years old because he was the one of the big heels yeah. in AWA. And then he just disappeared, which years later I found out because he was in jail. How did he end up in jail in, in America? You know, he was he had a green card and he was process of you know like, he he was gonna be an American citizen you know he thought he was gonna live there forever you know at the time he already lived in America and had green card that's why he had no problem working any any his you know territories mm -hmm. he had run with WWF with Mr Fuji he had run in the NWF Florida he went all over the place right right San Francisco Royce he had green card you know uh -huh. and he was gonna live there he thought but after Ken Patera and Masa Saito's this police incident and then uh, the court took place in Wisconsin they were going to nail these professional wrestlers and they wanted to put him in the jail right and he served time 18 months in jail did he beat up some cops like because they wouldn't open up a McDonald's for them or, or Ken Patera okay. yeah yeah it was I, I don't I wasn't there you know and then you re had to read about it I went to visit Masa Saito in, in Wisconsin jail two, twice. You did? I did, twice. Wow. Spring and winter. I boiled soba noodles, and uh, I brought Japanese food, and Bento drove four hours to Wisconsin wow. with his wife at the time, and I visited him in, in Wisconsin jail. But there was no fence. You know why they have no fence in uh, jail in Wisconsin? It's in the middle of woods, middle of nowhere. You had to, you know, walk twenty miles to anywhere <laughs> in civilization. You know? Were you already a journalist at that point, Fumi? Yeah, yeah. I, I started in '81. Wow. I was still in college. But you also went to college in Minneapolis or Minnesota, right? Yeah. Oh, I got you. I wrote letter to Japanese editor in the wrestling magazine. You know, I live in America and I can take photos and write stories. You know, I can be your correspondent in America. And I wrote a letter to the editor, you know. Right. 19-year-old guy, you know. And they didn't think I could do it. So they wrote back and said, oh, great. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Not thinking I could do it. And you did. Yeah, I, I made up my own identification card and uh, put my photo on it. And then I made my own ID. <laughs> you had to. You make your right. own press pass and went to Vern Gagne and the Wally Cobble's show. And then, you know, I started showing up the show with my camera. And they didn't believe me first, you know. But uh, I started taking for my debut match was Vern Gagne against Nick Bakwenko, 1981. And I sent the photo to Japanese Wrestling Magazine. They made, you know, four-page color page on it. I brought the magazine back to AWA office and see, 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 right. And also people like Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura start making tours to Japan. Adrian almost took me under his wing and said, you know, yeah, you're all right. I like you. And then we became friends. So when Massa was in jail, you went and visited I him? I visited, yeah. I visited. Yeah. I got little details, you know, too. And I read all the newspaper, what happened in the court and all that. And then Kemperture threw a big brick boulder into McDonald's window because they were closed, you know? <laughs> Bad, huh? 
Typical wrestlers, though, right? I want food. Yeah, McDonald's in a small town, Waukesha, Wisconsin, the population of 500. They know where wrestlers are staying. Oh, yeah, right. Good point. Yeah, so the, they, the police force, you know, the, I mean, you're talking dozen cops, right, came to their motel room, you know, and uh, they knocked the door, and then uh, Masa was rooming with Ken Patera, and Masa answered the door and, and told the cop, no, Ken isn't here. Then, but they maced him, you know. Then uh, he um, he got out of the room and shut the door, but they locked, you know, with his underwear and everything, you know. But uh, so they one thing led to another, and the, one cop from one end of the hallway and the, the other group of cops from the other side, you know, end of the hallway. He had to fight too, you know. Mm -hmm. All in all, assaulting police officer is a big crime, you know. <sighs> Absolutely. Oh, it's possible in a small town in, in, in Wisconsin. Exactly. And they wanted to have that court in that town too, not in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Not in Minneapolis with Vern Gagne professional lawyers, you know. But anyhow, to make the long story short, they were in jail, you know. And I went to visit him a couple of times. And after he got out of jail in the end of 1986, he pretty much changed his mind that he wanted to come back and have a final run as an active wrestler. Because he got lonely about it because he was already 40-something. Right. And being in jail for 18 months, he worked out in there, though. But he didn't think he could have a match anymore. And I people were telling him, it's like riding a bicycle, so you can have a match, you know. <laughs> he trained again and made comeback a little bit. But that was dying day of AWA, too, you know. Right. Yep. And Inoki was having, you know, running his like a final run as active wrestler. Two years later, he'll become politician, remember? Right, right. But he still wrestled for another 10 years after that. Yeah, but uh, two or three matches at a time. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Every time he wrestled, it was a big deal. But active full-time wrestler and a booker and promoter, that was becoming his final run, too. So Inoki assigned, wanted to have Masa Saito as his big rival. And uh, Masa wanted to come home and have his final run as active wrestler. Gotcha. Yeah, all things worked. In March 26 of 1987, at the Osaka Castle Fall, the Inoki talk on live, such a big show, you know. Uh, Inoki and Masa Saito had a big first single match. Well, they, it wasn't the first time. They had single matches before, but uh, they made it sound like it was the first time. Gotcha. And... Uh, the mind of Inoki is sometimes works, sometimes too crazy. That if you remember Billy Gasper, the pirate guy, mm -hmm. he shows up at the end of the match and destroy this match and handcuff Masa and, and leaves. No finish. Oh, people got mad. Right. Wow. Okay. I mean, riot. People wouldn't leave the building because hated what they just saw, hated the finish. Sometimes Japanese serious wrestling fans don't leave like a protesting, you know. They're not going to leave the building until office or somebody ring announce or somebody's going to come out and explain, please go home, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Following month, in April 27, 1987, Inoki and Masa met again for second time. This time, single match, but the, uh, the, in the middle of the match, Inoki said, take the ropes out of there. And then they took the three ropes out of the ring and they made a flat ring. Oh, wow. It's a fight. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no rope death match. <laughs> <laughs> well, Inoki runs his own angle sometimes I mean, he, without even telling Saka, Buku Sakaguchi, you know? Yeah. 
but that gives more reality to it, right? Because people are shocked. All the second young wrestlers, young boys around the ring, all the guys are in shock. You know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. It makes the angle that much more real. Yeah, in the moment, right? Yeah, that was the same April, nineteen eighty-seven. New Japan lost their prime time eight o'clock time slot, and station moved. New Japan Pro Wrestling's television, their show from Friday night, 8 o'clock to Monday night, 8 o'clock. Changing time was killer, though, mm. after 20-some years, you know? Because people are, are trained to know that's when the show is on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they had their reason, too, because uh, rating was really declining, you know, with other reasons, too, you know, like uh, having uh, other network having strong shows on Friday night and all these. You know, sometimes... TV people kill wrestling, right? Right. It was one TV producer who killed WCW. It was going to come to an end, you know, too. But uh, sometimes one TV producer make one decision and that would kill wrestling company, you know, sometimes. That's right, yeah. Anyhow, that was a time that they changed and they brought the TV people to change wrestling program that they made uh, this variety show, talk show segment with comedian. Then go back to wrestling, go back to studio with comedians in the commentary and goes back, go back to arena show. And this, they made a crazy format, you know. Then there was a fifth annual IWGP tournament. For new fans, IWGP sounds like your championship, right? Right. But IWGP up until this year was annual spring round robin t- tournament. Hmm. After this, okay, final of the annual, annual IWGP t- tournament. Of course, the final was, again, Antonio Inoki against Masa Saito. <laughs> Third time that year alone. Right. Inoki announced that as a president of the company, IWGP will become heavyweight champion, the title that will be defended. Oh. Yeah, it became championship instead of annual tournament. Okay. We could talk about IWGP all night long, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, but this is the buildup as to why they ended up on an island. Yeah, yes, I'm getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, we're just about there. But before we get into the match itself, let me take a minute to tell you about something that might make all your Zoom happy hour hangouts a little easier to deal with the next morning. I'm talking about goodies hangover. Man, where was this stuff after all those talk and shop episodes with Kelsey and Anderson? Not going to lie, goodies hangover will probably come in handy on Sunday morning after this weekend's Saturday night special. I'm having too much fun hanging out with you guys on Saturday night. Uh, so anyways, we've all been there. You have a fun night out. The next morning is Barutal. And like I said, you can take the brutal out of the next morning with Goody's Hangover. Goody's Hangover is pain relief at the speed of powder. It can help relieve the wicked headache that usually accompanies a hangover. Takes away the minor body aches you might be feeling. And it's going to help restore your mental alertness. Say goodbye to the fatigue, drowsiness, and grogginess that hangovers usually cause. It comes in a citrus berry boost flavor. You can toss it back as is, or you can mix it with water. Don't let a hangover slow you down ever again. Get Goody's Hangover and let his formula stop pain fast and provide that boost of alertness you need. So now you can have that fun night without worrying about how you feel the next morning. Get yourself some goodies hangover at Amazon or Walmart. Goodies hangover, real medicine for real hangovers. Fast relief with a boost of alertness. All right, Fumi, let's get back to this. Tell us what brought Inoki and Saito to that remote island. Yeah, and then so March Inoki Masa fight. April Masa Inoki fight with no rope death match. And the third time, IWGP annual tournament final, mm-hmm. Inoki against Masa again. Inoki beats Masa, right? Of course. 
Then they ran this big angle right after the match. Inoki asked everybody to challenge me. <laughs> of course, when he didn't do that. But uh, anyhow, you just won the tournament and IWGP becoming a heavyweight championship instead of the tournament. This is the championship belt that would be defended. Mm-hmm. And Inoki said, anybody, anybody, you know, I'll you know, take challenge from anybody. Then they, they ran this big angle. It's, it'll be called new leader against now leader. That's a Jap- Japan English, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now leaders, uh, that means establishment. Inoki, the president of the company, Sakaguchi, the vice president of the company, and the booker, and all the company, you know, let's say, uh, stooges. Anyhow, at the time, New Japan had five dressing rooms. Well, well, WWE have like a 10 locker room, right? But yeah, yeah, anyhow, yeah. New Japan had five dressing rooms. One was Inoki and his guys, okay? Mm-hmm. Then the other one was all the New Japan guys. The third dressing room was Choshu and his guys, like 14, 15 guys. And fourth dressing room was UWF, you know, Maeda, the Takada. The, they were working in New Japan then, you know? Mm-hmm. Fifth dressing room was Gaijin. Right, the foreigners. Yeah, five dressing rooms, you know? And the now leaders are the establishment. Inoki and Sakaguchi and his guys. New leader will be Fujinami, Choshu, and Maeda, and all the younger guys that are main event guys, but generation younger than Inoki, yeah. Yeah. So now that the, right after this fifth annual IWGP and IWGP becoming championship and the big angle, now leaders against establishment, you know, now leaders against new leaders. That meant breaking up all Choshu faction, UWF faction, and New Japan's baby faction, right? Mm -hmm. They were running shows like a card like Inoki, Masa Saito, Sakaguchi against Fujinami, Maeda, and Choshu, something like that. Right. Kind of confusing. Fans understood that, right? The biggest point is to see who's going to be Inoki, 45-year-old Inoki. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it had to come down to Inoki against Akira Maeda single match, and Maeda have to beat him, right? Probably. Mm-hmm. They did this new leader against now leader thing for four months: June, July, August, and September. And I thought this was gonna, you know, longer run as a storyline because it was a great, you know, storyline at the time. I believed somebody had to beat Inoki at the end, right? Either it'd be Fujinami, or it'd be Choshu, or it'd be Maeda, or maybe even young Takada. Mm-hmm. But apparently, Inoki didn't really enjoy this, uh, the whole story. And I, well, he created it, but he hated it too, you know? Right. For younger and other audience out there, you know, your listeners, to be able to understand Inoki, Inoki is like Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon in one. <laughs> Good description. Yeah, because he creates it, he acts it, and he's uh, always a leading role of this whole story. And then, then sometimes he changes my, you know, his, his mind in the middle of it, and everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. Then the new, after September, the Japanese TV premiere, you know, like a new TV season starts at the end of September and, and the first week of October. Just like your TV premiere season. Right. Then, you know, season so-and-so of your, I don't know, homeland starts or something like that you know yeah of course sure yeah october of 1987 tv asahi again 
decided to change the time slot from Tuesday night at 8 o'clock to Monday night at 8 o'clock, and wrestling fans and wrestling communities suffer again, right? They did the primetime special, 90-minute special, 7.30 to 9 o'clock, 90 minutes special on TV Asahi. It was a big show that you need to come up with big content, huh? Right, right, right. Much like your NBC Saturday night main event kind of type thing. Mm -hmm. That's when Inoki came up with Jungle Fight. And uh, and conveniently, Inoki could destroy this now leader establishment against new leader, the whole angle, by having one match and destroy the previous storyline. Four months, yeah. Yeah, four months build up of the storyline <laughs> by having going back to Inoki Masa fight again. That was his big idea for the big for the big ratings push was to do the jungle fight. Jungle fight. Nobody had done it. And it's a historical site. The Ganryujima actually exists. A lot of people didn't even know because it, it's kind of a myth where Musashi Miyamoto against Kojiro Sasaki, it's like you're a Hercules. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, like gods. Yeah, Greek. It's the island actually exists. Oh, really? And Inoki was going to have fight there against his biggest rival, then Masa Saito. Perfect opponent for Inoki, though, because Masa loves him. Give me 30 seconds to explain this. Okay. I asked Masa, you know, if you love Inoki so much, why would you always be heel? Because their friendship goes back to, what, the 1965 or something, you know? Yeah. But Masa's answer was, that's what makes him star. Hmm. You had to be opponent. That's right. Yeah. Good point. You're a wrestler. You agree? Absolutely. Every good babyface needs a good heel. Absolutely. Yeah, and then that's what's making Masa star. So the match is actually quite long. I want to talk about how it was shown on TV. But first, let me say thank you to America's most hated jeweler, Steven Singer. Other jewelers hate him for his unbelievable low prices, but that's why we all love him. Great prices and amazing quality is what you'll find at IHateStevenSinger.com. And Steven Singer sells so much more than just his famous gold-dipped roses. Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. So whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven Singer is there for you. He's got the perfect piece of jewelry to say I love you, forever style. And if you're ready to take that next step, Steven has a ready-for-love engagement ring collection that is no hassle, risk-free, expertly picked, and ready to go. And don't worry, Steven Singer is not going to let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over 20 years, and he's recently kicked everything up a notch to better service friends and guests online. He's got real expert jewelers on to help you find the perfect ring or gift through his new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. And if that's not enough, Steven Singer also offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Plus, he's got interest-free financing available online as well. And that's just the beginning. Gifts that say, I love you every single day, back with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Go check them out now. Jim, have you seen the full match? Because the match goes on quite long, right? Yeah, I've only seen the edited version that's up on, I think it's Daily Motion right now. Oh, okay, um, I, okay. Very good. I, I think I saw it on a, on a tape years ago. You know, like, like I said, when you see the you know, the Island death match as a kid, maybe, you know, you're expecting, you know, Greg Gagne as Rambo or you know, Indiana Jones in there. And there's the, yeah, you know, today, maybe Sarah Logan running around howling. You, you, you imagine stealth and, you know, maybe a machete in there somewhere. And 
people sneaking up on each other, coming out of rivers and dart, dart blowguns and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, there's a big boulder. There's <laughs> it's just from, from my standpoint as, as, a, as an, as a U.S. kid, that's what you have in mind. And the, the reality was for better or for worse, it's actually a very serious presentation and it's more of a pancreation style, very straightforward match. There's not a lot of movement the the offense is is very standard and not a lot of varied offense but the whole time you can see that they're putting effort in it i took probably a lot of energy to be in the moment the whole time there's subtle things going on when masa saito's got got inoki locked in you can see inoki's face and he's like looking around like thinking okay what do i do and he's kind of reaching around just kind of with his hands, okay, where am I doing? And I can do, and then he finally figures out what he needs to do. Yeah, form is to, coming to, out of his mouth too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of subtle things, but if you are, <laughs> you're expecting action and diving off of trees and things, you're going to be, the eyes. Yep. yeah, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, because they basically, uh, they, they've set up a ring. The filming is very grainy. I don't know if that's just from over the years, but there's a, there's a helicopter that's filming from far away, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. basically, like you guys said, they're just grappling. And there's a, there's a part where uh, Masa gets Anoki uh, kind of in a leg lock, and they sit there for like, gosh, I don't know, five minutes, ten minutes, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you said, like it's it's very much a slow, almost like if it was a real life fight to the death. What would these guys do with no weapons and no outside help? There's also a callback to the samurai incident that Fumi was talking about where uh, one of the samurai back in the 1600s made his opponent wait for 30 minutes. Oh, and right, that's what right. It, and you can see that where they have the tents, Inoki is stalling. Wouldn't uh, come Ma- out. Yeah, Amasa Saito is waiting in the ring and Inoki's not coming out and it's a callback to that. So there's there's still references to the, the historical battleground that they're fighting on. Good point. Hmm. Everybody knows that part in his you know history, like a myth and legends, you know, yes, you make your opponent wait. It's a psychological warfare. But then there's also like there's there's some tiki torches set up because it starts kind of uh, in the dusk and then it goes into night. Right, right. There's a part where I think Inoki That's how they wanted to do. It. Yeah. Still bright outside and the fight starts you fight until it's completely dark <laughs> right <laughs> they get through uh, i think enoki throws saito into the torch or, or whatever they, yeah, they barely yeah they touch did it. that and it was 1980s so that, both guys juiced of course of course but there's fire on the ground and there's blood everywhere and they're just sweating it was probably very humid in that area uh in october was this shot and filmed and edited fumi or was it a live broadcast or what it was they did the fight the night before. Okay. Much like your WrestleMania this year, you know. Yeah, yeah. They want to pretend that they they don't say it's live or taped, you know. So they pretend that, that could be live, you know. But actual fight took place the night before, and I was one of the TV Asahi's World Pro Wrestling TV programs, the lowest writer. Then mm. the reason they brought me in was that uh, those, you know. Directors and producers and other guys in, in at the studio have no clue about wrestling, right? Right. They had to. It's before internet. You have to. You know, these listeners out there have to rea- realize it's before Google. 
you know? Yes. <laughs> and I was given that part-time job as a go-to guy to say anything about wrestling. Oh, they can't do that in wrestling. Oh, you can't do that in wrestling. Historically, this was this. I just give them clue, you know? But I, I was only 25, and I had no power and no opinion, nothing, you know? But I was at, what I'm saying is, I was in that studio when they were editing this match. Wow. Yeah. What were they looking for to edit? Because like we mentioned, it was two hours long. Actually, it was another Antonio Inoki saga thing that you kayfabe the closest people. Right. They didn't tell TV, Asahi, and actual camera crew and the directors anything about it. Just come in and film this as if it's real. <laughs> you know, so you had to be there at all time and not to miss anything, but you film this as a sporting event, like you don't miss anything in baseball game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were there all day to film everything. And we got the raw footage from that you know, location, and you had to make it into a 90-minute primetime show. There were two matches announced. One match, Masa Saito, Inoki, Jungle match, the half the show. And the other was live from Korakuen in uh, Fujinami against Choshu, single match, first time in three years. Choshu and his faction worked Giant Baba's Old Japan 1985 and 1986. They left New Japan for two years, you know, for real. Right. 87, spring of 87 was a deal that uh, Inoki and Ho, uh, that the Choshu and the whole faction came back to New Japan to join again. Fujinami Choshu single match, they could make a big deal out of it. First time in three years, such a rivalry. In the early 80s, you know, that was a main event. How many times can you do Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat? But they did it. So when, when this came out, was it, uh, you mentioned it was a 90-minute primetime special. Did, did you guys edit it down to about an hour? Yeah, yeah, about like 40 minutes. What was the reaction from the audience, from the country? It probably varies because... Um, you know, serious, more hardcore wrestling fan wanted to see the end of Inoki, right? Yeah. Who's going to beat Inoki? You know, like, would it be Choshu? Would it be Fujinami or even Maeda or somebody at the time? But uh, Inoki instead went back to Inoki against Masasaito program instead, right? So it was like, ah, again, right? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But general audience watching primetime TV program, Inoki did it again. Wow, from real Ganryujima, the historical site, nobody has done this. I think it was perfect content for non-serious wrestling fans, but more general TV audience. Because people talked about it. Well, and we're still talking about it now. What was your overall thoughts on it, Jim? In 1987, it's hard to judge. I would think to myself, if I was watching it, and you think about... 1987, the year of WrestleMania 3, and you mentioned Steamboat, and that was Savage, and the the style and the expectation of what a match was, I think it would hold my interest, but I think by the and I think by the end I would think, wow, they really gutted each other out and they put a lot into it and they they're spent and there's the finish and it's over. But I don't know if I would have had the same thrill of say like watching Flair and Sting the first time that at, at a clash or something like that. It would be, I would have respected it and I would have gone, wow, those guys did so much, but I don't think I would have gone, oh, you got to go see this. To a young American fan, like I said, with, with the island, you have a, a different concept. To me, watching this, you'd think that this would be called a, a Carl Gotch match <laughs> or maybe with like a Greek theme with a Pancration style. 
and also, you know, if I were you, Chris, I'd probably uh, trademark Island Deathmatch before Cody does. So. <laughs> uh, I think when I when I watch it back, it's one of those things that it's much like we talked about the Inoki Ali match earlier. Its legend is far better than the actual match itself. Talking about it, thinking about it, the whole story behind it. But when you watch it, it's very slow, and obviously that's by design because yeah. they're not. Tr- if they did that now, it would be much more like the Undertaker Boneyard match, and where there's a lot of tricks and traps and that sort of thing. Yeah, production, production, yeah. Whereas Inoki wanted this to be two guys get dropped on an island. There's a, there's a gorilla camera crew film it, put it together, air it. You can see that's what he was going for. Couple additional, may I? Yes, please. This Inoki and Masa fight in Ganryujima Island, it's not a house show. They didn't sell tickets. What Booker and Vice President, Senior Vice President Sakaguchi came up with was the advertisement they offered to the, all the media outlet at the time, you know, Weekly Pro Wrestling, the Gang Magazine, the Weekly Fight, the Tokyo Sports, the Nikon Sports, about 45 different media outlets. They had to buy this flag. You know, samurai warrior fight, you always have this samurai flag, right? In the battlefield. Right. One flag says Antonio Inoki. And one flag says Masa Saito. And you can put your company name underneath. It's an advertisement, you know? Oh, okay. You have to buy two flags each. It's $1,000, $1,000. So it's $2,000, okay? And all 45 to 50 media outlets had to buy this, you know, advertisement. And to put it in, you know, on the island as a flag, samurai flag, but the, there was an advertisement that the fee we had to pay, you know, two thousand each, like fifty other media outlets. All of a sudden, you got a hundred thousand dollar house show gate. Right, right. Very smart. Very, very smart. Very smart on Sakaguchi's part, you know. But that made it look like a samurai f- battlefield. Yeah, and, and did either guy get hurt at all in this fight? I kind of don't think so. Inoki lost his memories. Do you believe him? It's up to you. <laughs> and one more bonus note is that this was October of 1987, October 4th to be exact. That was the day Bruiser Brody went back to all Japan officially. They had to do something around that date because what's going to be on Tokyo Sports the very next day? You know about Tokyo Sports that comes out every day. And you can buy this, you know, trash tabloid sports page newspaper on any subways and train station around the country. People pick up and read it, right? Right. So wrestling coverage was really very important for wrestling companies at the time. But this year, you, you and I just talked about all the Choshu's faction, all 15 guys coming back from all Japan to New Japan. While they are technically still under contract with all Japan, all Japan was going to sue all of them and Inoki. They wanted to settle out of the court, and Brody, Jimmy Snuka, Abdul the Butcher was still technically under contract to New Japan. They just weren't using them. Oh, wow. And they weren't going to use them again. So they kind of traded it. We'll take Ricky Choshu and his faction back, and we can release Brody and Snuka and Abdul the Butcher and using him. Then the giant Baba gladly took them back very same week. Yeah, because they, they're, they're, they're money drawers. Who, who won the island match? Inoki. With what was the finish? I think it was um, Mystery Sleeper. 
<laughs> sleeper hole. Yeah, because you somebody has to go sleep, right? Have to lay down like a, the last man standing. Right. You basically have to almost kill somebody to win. Yeah. And they're yeah. both bloody. They're both bleeding heavily. Both just, oh, yeah. heavily, mm-hmm. heavily. That was Massa's, you know, very good, you know, Massa role to, you know, take, you know. As we start to to wind down here, um, do you find that Masa Saito is a little bit underrated as a performer? Because just looking back and thinking about about him, and the guy was just massive too, like so big. How was he remembered in Japan? Because in the states, he he never really worked for Vince Junior, so people don't really talk about him the same way they talk about Muto or, or, or guys like that. And also, he was a wrestler's wrestler, you know. Boys respected him more so than the fans. Mm. Yeah, he was wrestler's wrestler, wasn't he? What do you think, Jim? It's almost comparable as far as everything to to Haku, ah. where he's got a lot of respect <laughs> backstage, and he's a businessman, and he does what needs to be done in the ring. And so maybe fans don't pick up on all of the credibility and credentials and realness that is How there. tough he really is, right? Yeah, exactly. And and I remember Mr. Saito. He was running different territories. I remember him in, in tag teams and things. And he was always very credible, but I never saw him at the level of a star in the United States that he is in Japan. And it was just where we saw him in the in the territory days. I never had that that opportunity. It wasn't that I thought he was bad or lesser. It was just these are the roles that I that I saw him in. I knew there was something there, and I respected him. You could tell he was tough and he was going to be a good match, but you didn't know exactly the level that he was in Japan compared to, to his U.S. career. That's a great point. I met Masa many times, but he was really tied in with Brad Ringens yeah. due to his, and I'm sure he probably had something to do with the early development of Brock Lesnar, or at least bringing him into Japan if he was tied in with, with Brad that deeply. Yeah, Masa and Brad Ringens together, they trained Scott Norton, Tony Holm, Don Fry, wow. all the guys ready to go, you know, big guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alvader, of course. It's funny, I remember just talking about the weirdness of Inoki. I remember when I went there in about 98 or so, Inoki was hypnotizing some of the guys. And I think it was, it, oh. it might have been Nagata. <laughs> he was, he was, he hypnotized Nagata, and Nagata had this weird. Can you say no to Inoki, though? Well, that's the thing. He had this weird look on his face. And then as soon as Inoki walked out, Nagata snapped out of it and said, was that really? He said, no, it's Inoki bullshit magic, but you got to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, he's like that. He's so, but then again, you have to respect him. He's king of wrestling, you know? To this day, final question for you, Fumi. Is it- uh, yeah, well, he's now at the 78 or something, and he's now part of New Japan. He sold the company, and he became politician again. Actually, he's on wheelchair, but you cannot videotape that part you know yeah and he's still making personal appearance you know if he waves he'll probably get paid 10 grand <laughs> you know right 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 every day yeah so uh, he's just as big as he always was you know legendary right oh uh, very much jim what's your final thoughts on the island death match and kind of its place in wrestling history i just th- i agree with what you said that the reputation exceeds what you're going to see so expect it to be slow expect to have to watch details as opposed to any sort of excitement or gimmicks it's it's very serious and 
it's remarkable. I mean, is this island like a park? Do you have to call the, the parks department and say, hey, we want to have a death match? Is there... You got a permit for that? Death match? Could I call the Alamo and go, hey, um, we right. want to do... I, I think Inoki made that Ganryujima famous again, though. Right, sure. People didn't know that it actually existed. It's part of myth, you know? Yeah. And the part landfill now. But the actual islands still exist, and they became tourist place after that. Well, guys, thank you so much. That was uh, it was really cool to, to talk to you guys, and uh, it's always yeah. Let's go back and watch this Inoki Masa Jungle match once again, because we might get something we we missed, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to Inoki Muhammad Ali match. You thought it was really boring forty years ago, but now it looks real. Yeah, well, because it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, stay safe and stay healthy, and hopefully, we can uh, we can talk again very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You got your mask on, Valley. Get your mask on. Absolutely. <laughs> I will too. <laughs> okay. Good night, guys. Bye. Thank you. Right. Okay. Take care.